But for God's word, let us turn to Luke chapter 16. Uh, if you join me, please read uh, verses 19 through 31. Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that, they, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the awesome mercy by which you reveal yourself to us. Please open ears and hearts today that we may hear Jesus, who fulfilled the words of Moses and the prophets. And in hearing, we would heed. Please guide me, uh, both my mind and my mouth, that I would not stray into the supposed wisdom of men, but rather stay close to your eternal and infallible and sufficient wisdom. May it be so for Christ's glory. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I ask you first, uh, how often do you consider things of eternal nature? Much less 10 years out or five years out, right? I know, uh, like all of you, I'm often pressed upon by the needs and cares of the world. Um, you know, job expectations for tomorrow, what do I need to get done, uh, family planning for the next week, how can I help my wife and what she needs and, and uh, be leading my children, much less, okay, what are the house payments going to be like a couple years down, and what are my children going to be doing for advanced education. Uh, it's hard to think long range, much less to the other side, um, the later that we're going to be speaking of here in a moment. But uh, as a preface, just a mere reminder to be thinking of those things. Uh, we read about tornadoes that come through cities, car crashes, terminal illness that comes upon people when they least expect it. And especially for you young people, um, you think that the normal span of life allows you a few more years. Us getting advanced in age realize that normal is getting shorter just by virtue of time passing. But for all of us, normal is normal and, and abnormal happens. Uh, so we need to consider that very astutely and don't, as I'll mention later, just think, yeah, that's, that's down the road. I can't see it, so why worry about it? No, it could come tomorrow. Uh, but more directly uh, to the point of our message today, uh, doing ministry work in Utah, I have the privilege of telling people about the gospel. We commonly refer to that, direct translation of that word, as the good news. This good news, of course, being that Christ died for the ungodly. 
uh, the perfect righteousness, as was spoken of earlier, that we could never achieve, never, not even close, if we're honest, uh, is given to us. And the immense penalty, again, if we're honest, to the depth and breadth of our sin, that immense penalty that we could never pay is taken from us that are in Christ. And by virtue of this uh, incredible, if we stop and ponder it, absolutely incredible and gracious exchange that I and those of you as well who believe in the true and living God for our salvation are reconciled to him forever. But uh, in reality, there's another side uh, to this good news. Uh, We call it the other side of the good news being the bad news, that those who are not in Christ, who have not uh, received his righteousness by faith and who have not had their penalty taken from them uh, in the same transaction, are facing a very sad and desperate future, touched on in our passage here. Uh, We who are partakers of this grace have received the gift, but they have not, and there is eternal consequences. Um, And this passage before us presents the contrast between these two sides, those who partake of the good news and those who partake of the other side of that same coin, the bad news. Um, And we need to be considering ourselves in this equation, and as I'll implore us all as well, is to consider our neighbors. Because again, we don't know how long we have. Could be tomorrow, could be next week, could be 50 years. Could be my grandpa who's having his 100th birthday uh, in three months. And uh, Lord willing, he's had a long and fruitful life of living in peace with God. Uh, So let us not delay. Uh, Without further delay in our study of this passage, uh, let us look at these two men and the two time frames uh, in which we are uh, being given instruction. Uh, The first one, uh, as we see called very simply, uh, the rich man uh, lives a life of luxury, uh, whereas the second, the beggar named Lazarus, lives a life of abject poverty and physical ministry. We're going to start with uh, the rich man, uh, looking at verse 19. Uh, The text says this rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Uh, This purple clothing and fine linen were extraordinarily expensive, uh, we read in Acts of uh, the Lydia, the seller of purple. Uh, it's known that this dye was extremely difficult and uh, laborious to come by. Hence, you know, like gold is rarer, hence it has a higher value, or some other mineral harder to extract has a higher value. Uh, the purple dye, we may take that for, for granted. What's so big about purple dye? Well, back then they had to extract it from the inside of seashells, get the seashells, get it out of the seashells, and hence purple fabric in and of itself, extremely valuable. Uh, similarly so, this fine linen. Um, but they characterize uh, his clothing. He's basically living like a noble person, regal clothing, uh, as well as his table. It says that he doesn't just hold occasional banquets, but every day he is faring sumptuously, eating his fill of fine foods. And uh, we may not have such rich clothing. Uh, we've got you know, nice silk suits being pumped out by the dozens, so we can have nice clothes and it really isn't all that expensive. But uh, I, I don't think we're so far distant from this rich man. You know, if we really want a particular food, we go to the refrigerator and get it because we got it at the store last week. Or if we're out of stock, we've got the means to go down the street to the grocery store and get that nice brie and the bread or whatever it is. Um, so of all humanity throughout history, we're a fair bit closer to this rich man than the vast majority of people who have gone before us. Uh, so we can't just distance ourselves and say, oh, he's you know, callous and in luxury. That's nothing like me. Well, in reality, uh, we're a lot more uh, in that luxury camp than we might think. But it is important to remember, and I don't want to peg it on here, that luxury merely in and of itself is what leads this man to Hades in utter torment and despair. 
Uh, it is the uh, frame of mind and the lack of faith in God uh, along with those riches uh, that lead this man to that ultimate destiny. We read in the God's word of plenty of people who did have luxury, be it Abraham or Joseph at particular points in his life, um, and, and many others who had great means and riches on this earth, and they also uh, had the faith along with it uh, that led to the fulfillment of a heavenly promise. So this rich man's folly wasn't merely his possessions, but how he regarded and used, or uh, didn't use, I might say, uh, these riches. Uh, he does not appear to consider how he may use them for God's kingdom purposes. He appears to be using them for his own gluttony, uh, his own you know, fancy attire standing before the mirror, as it were, uh, noticing uh, his fine clothes. So just like it's not food in and of itself that is sinful, it's the gluttony uh, that is sinful. Uh, beer is not sinful in and of itself. Uh, drunkenness is. Uh, possessions are not sinful, but uh, covetousness, the stealing, uh, would be. And certainly self-indulgence is what I see here in the text. So it's those attitudes, the uh, Bad attitudes, along with the possessions, is what corrupts it. Uh, but also, I don't want to say that just by giving away all your stuff and taking on some monastic habit is not going to then achieve uh, the better purpose. Uh, it's having the faith to use what we've been given, whether much or little, uh, great or small, uh, for God's purposes. Um, we, we hear of billionaires the Omaha type or the Bellevue, Washington type, who give billions uh, away for whatever causes, perhaps to... Um, uh, you know, honestly in their mind give to a worthy cause or for a, a less uh, noble purpose to uh, assuage their guilt or impress their friends. But when not done in faith, uh, whether $46 billion or $100 billion or, or $46, as we learn from the story of the widow's might, uh, or 46 pennies, uh, it doesn't really matter the quantity. It is, of course, the faith. Uh, all things not done in faith are an abomination in God's sight. And so we need to remember that uh, whether we have little, whether we have much, uh, it's the faith of how we use or the lack of faith in how we use and disuse that is important before God. So I don't want to peg riches necessarily, but riches often reveal uh, what is in our heart. Uh, the word says that only God knows the heart, but you know, especially church leaders are given the task of discerning some outward evidences of the heart, and often it's our material possessions that can do that. And I think that's what Jesus is drawing on here, is the relationship to uh, possessions draws out the matters of the heart. But back to our passage, um, the rich man is simply going about his life serving his needs, to summarize it that way. A comfortable existence, no doubt, but that comfort, uh, sadly, as we will see, only lasts for a little while. But before we get to part two for him, we will turn to the other uh, man in our story, uh, the destitute beggar. Um, he uh, obviously did not partake of this opulent lifestyle of the rich man in verse 19, as we see in verses 20 and 21, a stark, stark contrast to that very fine existence. Let us read that. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And I admit, we don't know anything about this man's background. And maybe here I should assert that there's a lot of discussion as to whether this is a, a parable, just made up people to teach a story over its 
or is it actual people and we're seeing a true story that Jesus is revealing? And there's plenty of other detailed controversy in this passage that I'm not really going to get into because I think either way, uh, the, the, the points are the same, uh, the points that I'm going to be drawing out here. So it could well be that Lazarus was a real person, likely not the Lazarus that is uh, specially resurrected by Jesus, uh, or it could be that he's just an allegorical figure. But either way, um, we uh, have him presented here to teach us a lesson. Um, but other details could be added in the story that aren't, and I think it's for good purpose. Uh, we often can get really, oh, well, what about the fact that he died you know, at the gate as opposed to at home? Or what about the fact that this or this? Jesus doesn't tell us that. And I think those are good distractions that he wisely leaves out so that we can focus on the very important uh, specific details that are mentioned. Um, and all we know, very simple few facts, is that he has currently resorted to begging. We don't know what brought him there. Uh, we don't know why his family isn't taking care of him. Uh, but all we know is that he is begging and that his body is riddled with sores and that he seems to be unable to walk, at least because he needs to be put, placed uh, at the rich man's gate. Uh, but even from that little bit of information, we can see that he's not together, altogether incapable. Um, he's not totally passive in all this. He is requesting, uh, communicating his needs. Uh, we read that he was put there at his request. As the words indicate, he desired to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. So he can express uh, a need and a, can you help me do this? I, I can't do it myself. And uh, some commentators note that this might be touching on uh, the... Uh, key aspects of, of sovereign grace. You know, why is it that one person asks for a Bible uh, and another person doesn't? Why is it one person asks for a ride from church? Or why is it one person one morning Googles, you know, good churches Omaha and the other person is just sleeping in? So why is it that this man uh, asked to be taken to a place where he hopes his needs might be met, whereas others uh, wouldn't? And that has to do with uh, God awakening people. Um, to their sin, uh, their depravity, for their need for a solution. Lots of people just wander on thinking everything's great. Uh, they never think twice or three times or four times, not even once, uh, about the fact that they're a sinner in need of God's grace. But here we have a man who has been awakened to his need. He realizes, and uh, oftentimes people in this type of poverty realize how needful they are. And that's a ministry opportunity for us. God's providences have a purpose. And uh, so for this, uh, those people who are in need, uh, we can help meet their need with a sandwich? Yes, partly. Uh, with eternal salvation through the gospel of Jesus? Uh, most definitely. But here we have a man who realizes his needs. And uh, certainly his, his parents gave him a providential name, Lazarus, meaning God has helped. Uh, the, the dogs licking his sores are no help. Uh, the rich man uh, doesn't seem to be much help. Even if he got a few crumbs, he dies. Uh, the nourishment he got as cast offs from that table did not heal his ailing body. But God is a help. He is a sure help in a time of trouble, as it says in Psalm 46. And uh, that is the hope that we cling to in the midst of whatever our troubles may be, great or small. Uh, certainly we probably don't uh, have the similar circumstances here. God has provided materially for all of us to a greater degree. But we all have needs, needs of the heart, of the soul that is broken and hurting without him. Um, so the help that God gives, uh, I also need to remind us, doesn't come on our terms. Uh, he cried out for help, I need food, take me to the rich man's gate, and he may have gotten some, but that didn't solve his problems. When we earnestly uh, supplicate to God, please help me, you know, help save my friend, help solve this conflict situation in my family, whatever it might be, we don't always get the immediate answer that we want. Um, but it's on God's terms. 
uh, not on our terms. Uh, many a trouble has befallen saints throughout history. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see people who didn't have their immediate circumstances changed in the way they might have, but they looked beyond it uh, to the better hope, as the author of Hebrews speaks of. Um, and of course, the, the well-known line from Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, they don't all work pleasantly. <laughs> There's going to be pain and discomfort, but they work for the good, uh, that good being far beyond what our uh, small eyes can see in the short term. So, by way of summary, on the outside, it appeared that Lazarus wasn't getting such a great deal uh, and that the rich man was, uh, but the true state of things is soon revealed. And that's what comes in part two here, as uh, the later, as I have termed it. Um, as I alluded to at the very beginning in the introduction, uh, there is an eternity, a far off, or, or not so far off, really is my point, that we do need to consider. And in this text, it comes, uh, comes suddenly, at least insofar as it worded, boom, all of a sudden, these men are dead. We don't know if it was a long time after the incident of him being dropped at the rich man's gate or, or just overnight, we don't know. Um, but either side, this is my point here, is the righteous can't avoid it. Uh, we don't get you know, a Pollyanna life now, and uh, we don't know how long it is till death. Uh, so the righteous cannot avoid it. Again, Hebrews 11, all those men, great men of faith, they still met death, and often very painfully. Uh, we can't think, oh, you know, this is my ticket to heaven and my ticket to a happy life now. You know, who's here to cash it? Who do I take it to uh, to get me these present benefits? No, there may well be. Uh, a pain and trial and suffering even in this life. Um, uh, and so all these other details, again, I want to add about, well, how long was he in pain? Was it terminal illness? Did he bleed to death from the sores? All these things we might be curious about don't really matter. He died. We're going to die. And that's the point, to consider our death. Um, but again, this is the critical point. The fact that we're all going to die makes all the more important the fact of how are we justified. When we meet God, what are we going to say to him? I, I tried hard. Uh, you know, I didn't beat my wife. I just yelled at her a few times. No, uh, that is not good enough. The only thing that's good enough is to say, I am a sinner and I am justified by Christ. Again, he took my sin. I received his righteousness and please have mercy on me. And that answer is what receives uh, the good and faithful commendation from God. So uh, we don't want to dwell on these side questions, but keep it to the basics. Uh, but getting back to that point then, that death ushers us into the presence of the Lord. And as it's worded in this passage, uh, chapter or verse 22, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And uh, to me, I see a, a beautiful closeness and intimacy of, uh, of God's people uh, and, and Likely, by way of association, you know, Abraham is the father of the faith to a Christ-like figure. So Christ and his people. Because the same word, uh, bosom, in the New King James, which I'm quoting from, is used in John 13, 23, when it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved reclined on Jesus' bosom. So just think of that, that you know, laying on the chest of and that, that comforting, uh, that consorting, that, that helpful, um, encouraging posture that Jesus received his disciple. And that's the same uh, thing that this uh, desperate man is about to, to look up and see, uh, himself not partaking of, but seeing Lazarus uh, partaking of that. So while the beggar did have a difficult and painful life here, it quickly changed. And that's the hope we look forward to. Um, 
And then it says in chapter 25, and we'll pull apart this verse a little more in a moment, but uh, that in this life, Lazarus received evil things, but now, i.e. in the afterlife, he is comforted. And oh, what a sweet, sweet comfort uh, that is. No doubt extra sweet because of the trials that this man had endured in his life, but even if we have a comfortable life now, it's going to so far surpass anything that we can imagine now that I can uh, be comfortable and and uh, confident in saying that it is a sweet comfort to be there. As Paul said, it's better to be absent from the body uh, and present with the Lord than anything we can imagine here on earth. You know, we, we need to keep before us that eternal hope, that looking forward to the resurrection of our body and the, the perfect holiness we will achieve that we only get the faintest hints of uh, here uh, through our sanctification, but the fullness of that fulfilled promise in our glorified state and enjoying that perfect communion with God. That is a sweet hope and a sweet comfort to look forward to. And so while Christians here often have pain and discomfort, like this figure Lazarus did, uh, or less so for us who have an easy life, uh, there is a far surpassing comfort and fellowship with God that we look forward to. So we, uh, we recognize that our struggle uh, is against sin now, and it's only when that sin is removed that the struggle is ended. Uh, it's not you know, going off to northern Idaho where we can get rid of uh, the rest of this intrusive government thing. Then we'll have it okay. Oh, we bring the sin with us, right? Uh, it's not living out on the country. It's not living in whatever apartment building. You know, we can all have our ideal physical circumstances that will solve it, remove the temptations. We bring the sin with us. Uh, you know, many uh, great pieces of literature written uh, to show this point. Uh, many Bible stories written uh, to point to the fact that we are sinners. We can't escape ourselves uh, except through the new man. That's the whole point of the gospel. We only escape ourselves when we become a different person, as it were, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So it's only when that sin is removed and only when the holiness is put in its place that there will be true and perfect peace and comfort. So don't settle for anything else. Uh, many people out there will tell you, oh, just try this, whether it be a drug or a food or a place or a thing or a person, cheap, cheap substitutes, lies, uh, lies from he who is the father of lies. And the only truth is the uh, eternal comfort that comes through fellowship with Christ. But now uh, we do honestly have to turn to that other side of the story, uh, the rich man. Uh, just as we aren't told the exact details of how Lazarus died, we are not told how the rich man died. But the central important fact, you know, keep it to the details, or the, the, the key, key details, is that death comes for all. Uh, it's a reminder to us that details can be a distraction. Uh, whether it's a terminal disease or a car crash, doesn't really matter. Uh, you are still meeting your maker. Uh, so sufficient for Jesus' lesson is, and this is the latter part of verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. Uh, the next portion of our passage, which is really a longer section, as all commentators observe, you know, how long and drawn out this conversation is in the latter part and how brief the first part is. And I think that's because Jesus is saying it's not about the details of the life and the death. It's about what happens after life. And uh, that's what I want to get to now. Um, and so the, this next passage, a portion of our passage strikes at the heart of the lesson because it, what happens after death, in, in a great sense, matters a lot more than what happens before. So let me read from verses 23 and 24. And being in torments in Hades, he, uh, that is, of course, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in tormented in this flame. 
And notice, I hope it jumps out at you, that all-important word torment used twice in those verses. Uh, There are those who suppose that the afterlife of the wicked is what's termed soul sleep or annihilation. Annihilation meaning basically, you know, burned up, incinerated. That's how they make use of the hellfire terminology. So you just cease to exist. Or the soul sleep that you're not really conscious. You're just like coma. Um, I'm not sure what they think wakes you up later. But uh, either way, I think these verses give a very simple and succinct answer, as Jesus often does, to uh, the error of those views. Uh, they, they say very plainly that he still exists, he has not been annihilated, and he is conscious. He is not you know, in some passive, uh, unconscious state. He is, he is talking, uh, and he can feel pain. That is a very conscious and uh, unfortunate uh, I shouldn't use the word fortune, I apologize. Um, painful, desperate condition. So uh, soul sleep and annihilation just do not fit with this passage. And, and of course, many others, it's not all dependent on this. But his uh, sufferings are presented to us in very tangible terms. And we have to recall that you know this is a, a spirit uh, engaging in, in talking. So there's some stretching of the... Um, the uh, manner of speaking here, but it's these very uh, images of you know the, the parched tongue and the flames lapping at him that uh, Jonathan Edwards used to great purpose in his, of course, famous speech, or sermon, I should say, not just a mere speech, his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I hope many of you have heard, uh, had the opportunity to read it at least, but there he, he rightly warns the wicked man, do you realize how close to death you are, but for God's upholding grace, you are as, I think is one of the images he uses, a spider you know, hanging from a single uh, silk thread. It has just spun, and you've got flames lapping up. At any second, they could dance closer, incinerate, and you plunge into the depths of hell. Or he says, your foot shall slip in due time. Do you realize you're walking on that slope? And you don't know where somebody, uh, has, or God, providentially has made it slicker. Your next step again, very quickly, into uh, eternal hell. Do you realize how close we all are to the end? And for you who are apart from Christ, do you realize uh, the consequences of meeting God in that condition? So I hope you see that it's scary. (laughs) Uh, There's two reasons why it may not be scary. One is that you have a peace knowing that you are reconciled to God. And there is therefore now no condemnation to him who is in Christ Jesus. That's a great thing. That's a, the place I hope that you all are, uh, whether it be the youngest child here or the oldest among us. But there's another reason why some of you may not be all that concerned about it. It's the fact that you're hardened in your sin. Uh, the very people that Jonathan Edwards spoke to were the people who were casually sitting in his pews, who came dutifully every week and you know, weren't the wife beaters. They would be the obvious sinners, uh, but were the people who did not have their affections toward God's change. They had not come to terms with their own sin. That is the scary, scary thing. The person who is just blindly going on content with the way they, the things are. Uh, I hope, though, there may be some among us that are truly scared by this. You're not yet to the point of having uh, the peace that comes from being united to Christ, but uh, you're not hardened to your own sin to the point where you can just dismiss this whole thing. Uh, So if you are scared, I say, praise God. He has opened your eyes to your sin, and you are on the road to hoping that you can find a true and permanent solution. And for you, 
I say, look to the word, as we'll see here. Moses and the prophets are the ones that can answer. Not today's prophet in Salt Lake City, uh, not today's magazine coming out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, the watchtower I'm referring to, not you know, whatever other false gospels that are out there saying, this is the way, this is the way, this can make you happy. But no, Moses and the prophets, the word of the Lord, the law and the testimony, that is our sure uh, road to salvation. So don't be in despair if this scares you. That is a good thing. Just don't shut off that conscience and try to go back to normal life tomorrow. Um, don't squelch your conscience. God uses it to a good purpose. Um, but moving on uh, to how uh, the requests that the rich man uh, appeals, how they are handled with, very instructed for, for all of us, and especially for you who may be scared uh, by these images. Uh, as verse 25 says, uh, the rich man received good in this life, but he was a fool, and I mean that with the strongest sense of the word, a fool, to think that that's all there was, all there is, or to think that he was prepared uh, for the next life. And so reading again verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now, what a turn of the tables. Uh, I often think of, um, you know, we live south of Salt Lake City in Provo, uh, even higher percentage of Mormons that are in Salt Lake City proper. But I often think of all these Mormons who think they're doing the right things, uh, you know, fulfilling the laws and the ordinances according to their gospel, and, and then they wake up after death. It's like, whoa, that's a surprise. <laughs> Somebody lied to me. I lied to myself, the, uh, the bishop as they call them, the prophet. I've been lied to. A little too late. So here you've got uh, the rich man waking up. Oh, wow. This isn't what I was thinking. This isn't what I had yesterday. Where's the sumptuous food? Where's the nice clothes? It's a little late. Um, so like many people of our age, he may well have been you know, so wrapped up in the cares of this world and the iPhone 5 launch on Tuesday that he didn't give thought to things eternal. Uh, some think... You know, a variety of ways we can react to this. Some may think, well, you know, tomorrow after I get done with this project, you know, with this nice meal, perhaps he was thinking, I'll give uh, some thought to that God thing. Or, you know, what was that news story I just heard about religion? You know, that, that woman who you know, drowned her kids because whatever, you know, she couldn't handle it. Oh, yeah, that religion thing. That's for uh, people trying to seek some, some comfort to take away their, their troubles. Um, whatever way that people think tomorrow, next week, next year, I'll deal with the, quote, religion thing. Um, all of those betray a tragic frame of mind, a person who's you know, ultimately focused on themselves, on, on what they think is important, on what they think is the right way to solve whatever problem they might identify. It reveals their mind is totally turned from God, and that is tragic, uh, very, very sad, because it's just the beginning. Uh, when the rich man woke up, <coughs> so to speak, in, in Hades, when my Mormon neighbor who dies after a long and, uh, you know, quote, fruitful life of, of Mormon religion, uh, that's just the beginning. Uh, that shock that comes on morning one is just the beginning of a very long, and very doesn't even describe it, we know, eternal torment is uh, what we understand from the Bible. Um, but let us get then to the questions, because he, he doesn't just say, oh, here I am, no, 
Uh, Let me just sit here twiddle my thumbs for eternity. He does have some reaction to it, and that's what is very important for us to see. He says, and here I'll back up to verse 24, He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. First I see, uh, it's very interesting, he asked for short-term relief. Notice he doesn't say, Father Abraham, get me out of here. He says, just a much simpler request, really, you know, help me assuage this pain a little bit. It could be that he, he realizes eh, it's not even worth asking the bigger question. I know that's going to be no. It's kind of like the little child who knows, well, if I ask for the banana on the counter, they're going to say no. So I'll ask for the banana peel in the trash can. You know, a, a very sort of insulting small request, but still very important. You realize you can't get the bigger thing, so try for the smaller. Uh, take what you can get, sort of. And second, notice that he still has little regard for Lazarus. He sure didn't care much about the beggar outside his gate before, um, but now he notices Lazarus, right? But he doesn't notice Lazarus even enough to uh, uh, speak to him directly. Uh, you know, hey, could you send him to that other guy over there you know, so he, he could help me? Uh, as if Lazarus is the uh, errand boy that's going to all of a sudden now be serving <laughs> the rich man. What an odd set of expectations. And there are other cults. I mentioned before soul sleep and annihilationism, one of the third main sort of options, contrary to eternal conscious torment, the biblical view, is the idea of uh, post-mortem conversion. So you don't have to work it out now. You can just wait till later. Um, but uh, I think that is uh, taught against here because here he's, he's, he's got the exact same selfishness and it's about me. Can you help me? Uh, where's the person trying to meet my needs? As he had before. There's no all of a sudden heart change once you get to the other side of death. Uh, so it's a little uh, pathetic uh, to think that people would uh, peg their hope on you know, the afterlife. It's not going to happen. That's going to be a rude surprise. Um, but finally, uh, for all of us, though, uh, Lord willing, there's none among us here who are thinking post-mortem conversion. But to bring it a little closer to home, uh, I do want to caution us against uh, pointing the finger at those other religions because while uh, Mormonism, uh, my, the main neighborhood religion where I'm currently living, they do have a vain and futile hope uh, when they look to the afterlife in that regard. Standard American culture, very similar. Um, we think, as I've said before, next week, next year, when it becomes more important or when I've got time, you know, when I retire and can go to that re- Bible retreat or uh, when I finally get the vacation time I need and you know, I no longer have the kids' baseball games eaten into my vacation time, then I can do it. Those are the same, same, maybe different excuses, but the same result. It's the same mistake of putting it off till later. But I want to impress upon you, do we know how far off later is? None of us do. Let's all pick up the morning paper tomorrow, go online and read the news of any car accidents that happened in Omaha. Good God-fearing people who, you know, either driving home from church or somebody hit them on the way from church, whatever it is. You know, it could be us. And that is the stop the excuses uh, urgency uh, that I appeal to us all for. But uh, as much as the questions are interesting, uh, the denial of his requests are equally revealing and important for us to see. Uh, as I put in your outlines, it draws it out a bit more clearly. His request, uh, this first request for comfort, is denied on two grounds. Uh, first, that it's improper. 
and second, that it's impossible. And it's in verse 25 that it shows it's improper. It's improper because it's like you already got your good things, my friend, son, is the, uh, the word used in the text. Um, so it would be improper for you to now get good things also. It's just not how it works is kind of what he's saying. And really it is, it, it, it hurts my heart to think of this man, what a casualness he had towards things eternal in his life to think that, hey, things are going good. Uh, you know, maybe it'll turn out better tomorrow too. And just how sad that is. And that's another thing I want us to have is a, a caring towards our neighbor who is not saved uh, to not just be like, okay, I, I got things solved and it's by grace. You know, I'm not going to be proud about it. But the next step in assuaging or diminishing our pride, kicking out our pride to be a bit more forceful, is to have an equal concern for our neighbor who is not in the same uh, place that we are uh, because their minds are darkened. Uh, it says in John's gospel uh, that the, 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 they basically don't see straight, you know, the uh, uh, covering on their eyes. It's just like, I mean, if you were at the Grand Canyon, I've heard the famous story of the Kaisers with the little children, you know, Jonathan is like running for the edge of the Grand Canyon. That is urgency. Any parent in their right mind is going to lunge, crawl through the gravel to reach them back from the edge. That is the exact same situation that uh, our neighbors are in. Uh, they are like you know, people running around with blindfolds at the end of the edge of the Grand Canyon with no guardrail. If you were there, would you, uh, excuse me, you know, tap you on the shoulder, that's a little dangerous, but I don't want to get too close to you because you know, it's kind of personal and that's your thing, it's my thing. No. You, know, you do what you can. And hopefully it's more than just talk with your wife on the way back to the hotel. It wasn't that kind of scary what that guy was doing. Yeah. So there should be some urgency when we see people in this kind of peril. And I, and I want to be honest with you. Uh, it's not like I'm some, okay, I'm a missionary out in Utah. And uh, so I'm doing a really great thing. And every single person that comes across my path, I lay this burden on them for salvation. I'm a wimp too. And it's really pretty sad. Uh, there are many people that I pass by at the grocery store around the corner from our house that I don't talk to, and uh, it's a little shameful. So pray for me, and I'll pray for you, for us to have some guts uh, and some boldness, some compassion uh, to talk to people. But uh, there's a second reason, as I alluded to, uh, why this rich man's request and denied, and that's because it's impossible. Not only is it improper, but sorry, can't happen. Uh, in verse 26, it says, the text says, Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So this eternal condition is sealed. Any hope for relief is removed. Uh, the great gulf is forever fixed. Um, uh, God's word nowhere mentions, you know, the second opportunity, uh, the, you know, a thousand-year time limit on hell uh, is not mentioned. Uh, it's like trying to, and so it's just impossible to get uh, across to that other side. Uh, I unfortunately wasn't here to see the flood swollen Missouri River. That would have been a pretty powerful thing. But imagine, uh, you know, somebody whose uh, feet and hands are bound, and you plop them into the river and say, all right, swim to the other side, and if you get there, you'll be Okay. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, uh, the chalky cliffs of Council Bluffs, you know, trying to claw up, because that, that's the word used here, a chasm or a great gulf is, you know, one of these steep walled, might be very narrow, but it's deep, and you just cannot climb those sides. And go try to climb those steep cliffs in, in Council Bluffs. Or, or uh, 
if you've ever been to the southwest, southern Utah, Colorado, you know, these rocky, steep walls, and when you try and climb those, just more dirt and more rocks comes down on your head. It is just impossible. That's the point of verse 26. It is impossible for this to happen. Even if we wanted to, even if it was theoretically possible that somebody desired to, sorry, it can't happen, um, which, as we'll get to here shortly, makes it all the more important what we do now. But then uh, there is the second request, as I uh, worded it, summarized it in your outline. It is unnecessary and useless. Uh, So in response to learning that there's no way that he can be helped, he makes a second appeal. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. Verses 27 and 28, if you read with me. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, definitely an urgency here. I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he that is the risen one, uh, may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And sadly, the answer is no again. This guy's having a bad day. Uh, Continued rejection. Uh, This time, the reasons are different. As I said, it's because they are unnecessary, or his desired outcome is unnecessary and useless. And it's in verse 29 that we see the unnecessary part. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. It's unnecessary because we, so putting ourselves with the rich man's brothers, already have what is necessary. Spoken of earlier, we have God's word that reveals the work of Christ. Uh, we have, as Peter words it, Second Peter 1, the sure word of prophecy that shines light. I mentioned about the darkness. These people are lost in darkness. They need light. And the sure word of prophecy, the Bible, uh, does that. Um, Jesus says in Isaiah, or I'm sorry, <laughs> um, it's in Isaiah chapter 20, uh, to the law and to the testimony. That is what we drive people to. You got a question? We've got answers. It's not the little, you know, well, we could confuse between illumination and, and revelation. I was going to say it's not the light bulb that went on, my mind, on in my mind this morning, but it could be. You know, if God, as you're reading these holy scriptures, holy writings, and God gives you insight, uh, that's definitely uh, valid, and that's what you take to this person. But it's all based on God's word, the law and the testimony. As our uh, confession, our common confession says it, the word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments is the only rule uh, given by God to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. You know, I have people who, who pity me because I don't have the fullness of God's revelation. And I'm like, I pity you because you are so confused by all your other revelations, you don't realize what is true and what's not. So we can be very thankful that God has made it plain uh, that we have the sure word of prophecy. We don't need to wonder why, what might come down the pipeline next week. And so this is the record um, of the true hope that we point people to. So that is the unnecessariness of the other stuff, of a resurrection, because um, uh, this records resurrections, and plenty of people deny it. So to see it for ourselves wouldn't do any good. And that's really the second part here, is that it's useless. The Bible does record resurrections. So when this rich man says, oh, if only you could send somebody, even if it ain't me, I don't get a second chance, that's okay, but send somebody back to tell them Sorry, that happened, and it's recorded in here, and people don't pay attention to that either. It's useless. Uh, It's not going to help. Uh, Miracles in and of themselves do not open eyes. Often they can only further harden them, right? 
recalling the story from Exodus about the Pharaoh, did multiple more and more and more serious miracles all of a sudden, well, only till the very end, uh, make him, it certainly didn't believe, bring Pharaoh to faith. It finally crushed him. He's like, fine, enough with this. He did not come to faith. And plenty of miracles recorded in the New Testament that, uh, you know, how, how many believers were there when Christ was uh, put on the cross after having done all these other miracles, right? Be, uh, Lazarus' rec- uh, resurrection among them. Not very many. Um, so for us to think, oh, if only, you know, like the Roman Catholics, we had a little apparition of Mary on the side of the Mutual of Omaha building, you know, then we'd get some <laughs> believers. Um, no, uh, that is uh, betraying the importance of God's word, so it's useless, uh, which may leave us thinking, you know, what, what hope is there? What can we do? Um, but we're not left without tools. Uh, God has said he ordains the foolishness of preaching, uh, you know, a stumbling block uh, to others who think, whatever, how good could that be? Give me something real, you know, some power, religion. No, this is the power, the power of the living God through his living word uh, to strike fear into men's hearts. Um, you know, a fear that I alluded to earlier of your condition and the danger of it. That is the power of God's living word. Um, so it is simple, perhaps foolish to those who are skeptical, but not foolish to God. Uh, he has ordained it. He works in and through it. He is the power behind it. Um, because these scriptures speak of Christ all throughout. As uh, Jesus said to the man on the road to Emmaus, you know, read the, these scriptures. They speak of me. They speak of him being the spotless lamb. Uh, slain for his people. They speak of him being the one risen for our justification. They speak of him being the one in, in whose image we as Christians are remade. That is what the Bible tells us. We don't need something else. And of course, as we live our Christian life, this is also what tells us uh, about the, the commandments that we joyfully live in obedience to our risen Savior. It's a complete story. We don't need to, and it would be idolatrous to add to Well, for conclusion, uh, I implore all of us to ask ourselves uh, if we are making the same mistakes as the rich man. Could be greater or lesser degrees, but to be honest with ourselves, are we making the same mistakes as the rich man? And and are we doing the right things, is how I worded it in the summary down there. Um, Well, what was Lazarus' merit? I hope you catch the trick there. His merit was not in himself, right? The merit is in Christ's merit applied to him. So are we in the rich man camp to a greater or lesser degree and what critical way in which I hope we are in Lazarus's camp um, because the only way to be ready for the day of reckoning is to be trusting in the only one who can save. There's one way to one man, the man Christ Jesus, the true savior for sinners. So I, uh, my hope and my prayer, uh, my exhortation to you is to be able to say the words of the psalmist, in Psalm 18, too, and let me read that. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And once you can make those words yours, consider your neighbor or your family members, your coworkers, whatever it may be. Remember that now is the day of repentance. We don't know when the end will be sealed, when that great gulf will be fixed. So now is the time to point people to Moses and the prophets, to the law and the testimony, the sure word of prophecy, the Old and New Testaments, the only rule by which uh, we know the way to go. Maybe so. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, being one of your adopted children, I am forever awed by your grace, that but for your mercy, I would be subject to your justice, just as the rich man in this text. But instead, you have laid that on another, Jesus Christ the righteous. May all of us Christians in this room uh, keep this amazing gift close to our hearts and the blessed hope immediately before our eyes. And in so doing, uh, live in light of that, our personal lives properly, but also uh, be urgent to share with our neighbors the message proclaimed by Moses and the prophets. Um, Please turn uh, the curious from supposed new revelation or the ignorant from their laziness, whatever it may be, turn them to the true word of the living God. And may we have the joy of seeing thousands upon thousands, millions, embrace the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I ask this for the crown rights of King Jesus in whose powerful and holy name I pray. Amen.